In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Several weeks ago, Pam and I were up in the state of Colorado, in Boulder to be accurate, and we were delivering a car to her son. We had uh, had the car for a number of years, and he, his car was, well, breaking down, so we thought it would be nice to deliver the car to him, and we got another car through uh, Pam's dad, actually. So we were on that journey when all of a sudden I had a phone call from uh, Joe. And Father Joe said to me, Paul, what's the possibility of preaching for me on the 27th of May? And I didn't think for too long, and I accepted the responsibility. Even though I'm struggling a bit with my eye and walking, and I'm hoping to have some of that taken care of next week at the hospital, (laughs) I hope so at any rate, uh, I accepted, you know, and you don't know when you accept what you're getting into. (laughs) And uh, I discovered to my delight that this happened to be, well, Pentecost Sunday, Holy Spirit Sunday. You know, sometimes you get a, I want to say bummer, but you get a, <laughs> you get a Sunday where the texts are, well, uh, a struggle to make some sort of connection with yourself and with the people of God. But not on this day, Pentecost. This is a big day. I like preaching on Christmas. What a delight. And through the years, enjoy that immensely. And of course, Easter, the queen of all the festivals, to declare and talk about the resurrection of Jesus and the promises that hold, that's a special day as well. But you know, as I began to rummage around in this particular day and text, I discovered a lot of exciting things. You go through 50 years of ministry and you preach Sunday after Sunday and then all of a sudden you're looking at a text which you probably have looked at before but somehow or other it comes off the pages and has a lot more to say to you and you gain some insights you never ever had before. So it may seem like drudgery to some And you may even find it boring this morning from me, but I'm going to tell you that for me, this has been an exciting venture. Because beginning in Boulder, Colorado, and all the way through the states coming back as we flew back to Akron into the airport, what was I thinking about but this very text about Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the celebration of his birthday. This is the birthday of the church, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And we rejoice in that truth, and I do especially today. So let me share with you some of the little insights I got from reading this text over and over again and seeking out what might be something I could share with all of you. It's a fascinating text because... What happens here on this particular day is something I never thought about the logistics of it. Bear with me for a few moments. 
You have, on the one hand, a small band of people. Scholars say perhaps numbering maybe around 120 people who have experienced the resurrection of Christ and the significance of it and are gathering for worship. 120 people, a small flock of people. That's in the southwest side of the city of Jerusalem. Meanwhile, way to the west is the temple of Jerusalem, the most significant thing for all of the Jews. And so these two groups are gathering. The small group is gathering, and what happens in their midst? The most unusual thing happens. While they're praying, and they're up at 9 a.m. in the morning, and they're praying, uh, they beat us, in fact, by an hour, but they're, they're praying and asking for the Lord's direction when what should happen, but a, a big wind blew through their midst. And with the wind came fire, and the fire lighted on their heads, not burning their hair, but just a fire. They were a fire with the Spirit of God. All 120 of them here in this small gathering. That's what was going on in their context. A wonderful happening. And they were receiving the Holy Spirit in this particular experience. Meanwhile, on the other end of town, at the temple, they're celebrating Pentecost. I hope you can keep this all straight. We have our own Pentecost Christians, but the Jews had a Pentecost before we ever had one. That would be 50 days after the Passover. They had celebrated the Passover, and then many of the people who were there for that occasion, who came from all over the world. In fact, you heard all of these names. And by the way, Frank, you did a marvelous job of pronouncing all of them. I always find it a, a moment of truth when this poor reader has this responsibility of reading these words uh, or names which they don't frequently use, but you did very well. Yes, all of these people from all of these parts of the world were gathered. Now they were still there for this celebration of Pentecost, which has turned into a festival, well, like a thanksgiving, a giving thanks to God for the fruits of the earth. And so the priest in this situation, Joseph Caiaphas, would gather there by the temple and he'd hold up before the people two loaves of bread, signifying the blessings of God upon the people, the bread that they would eat. And then there was also the waving of wheat, which signified the wonderful crop that they had gotten. So... This was being celebrated, and while they were doing that, of course, preparing this wonderful feast and thanking God for all the good things that had happened to them, they were doing their thing, as it were, at the other end of town. Now, how this quite got together, I don't know. Think about it for a moment. A small band of Christian people gathering Jesus' name, with fires on their heads, speaking the wonderful message of forgiveness and love, having the Spirit reign in their hearts, 
they move through the city. And they come upon, I'm sure, thousands of people who were gathered in the city to worship for Pentecost. And the two bands somehow or other connect. And now, I would imagine those people who didn't have a fire on their head were saying, what's going on? What is this with you? Tell me about that. And of course, one of the problems was they spoke one language in many cases, and these Galileans, these people from Israel, spoke another language. Can you imagine what a, a hubbub that would be? But that's the way it was. And then the second or third or fourth miracle took place. They began to speak in the language of the people. And the people from these different places understood them and the message they had. There's another marvelous thing happening here. And so they spoke a word of forgiveness and love and witness to the resurrection of Jesus. And they all said, Hallelujah. They did more than that. Part of the temple worship was to, to dance and to sing. You've heard the Hallel. You perhaps have seen Jewish people dance the Hallel. Psalm 113, 113 and 114. Oh, songs of praise and thanksgiving to God for His goodness. And you did it with dancing. You did it right there at the temple. And blending into that group were now these people with, well, fire on their head. Or at least fired up with the Spirit to share the message of the resurrected Christ. And the two came together and they spoke together in one language, sharing the faith. What a marvelous event this would be. Now add to that the history of what unfolds. There would, it's not in your scripture reading in the uh, bulletin today, but in a short time, there was the need to baptize them all. So 3,000 people, I don't know how they did it. I had a gathering of young people, oh, about 35 years ago. I was in charge of young people gathering at Purdue University in the outdoor uh, arena or auditorium that I have. And in front was a reflecting pool. And he had all these young people out there, and you were speaking to them, and we were singing Christian songs. And, of course, they got carried away. They were excited and they did all sorts of wonderful things. They jumped in the reflecting pool. They could not resist it. And they were talking good words to one another. It was a hilarious, happy, wonderful event. It was a sign of the spirits working in the midst of these people. So I can imagine what this was like. You don't think of it as a quiet church service. You all sit here so quietly. You barely talk. You barely share. It's hard to get a response from you. But not so with these people. These people were filled with the Spirit. They were hugging. They were shaking. They were singing. They were dancing. They had the Spirit. And with that, they said, let's jump into the reflecting pool and let's get baptized. And that's what was going on here. What a marvelous event. Put together that in a few days these same Christians would be walking through one of the gates there by the city of Jerusalem. And as they walked through the gate, there was a crippled man there. This is just a few days later. And the crippled man 
was there for years, like many of them are, and it's true of the Middle East even now, people begging on the streets who are deformed or crippled and seeking help. And the disciples healed him. The people around them responded to that. And finally, you had the message that St. Peter had shared on Pentecost. He shared it again a couple of days later. All of you were involved in putting Christ to death in the crucifixion. But hear this word. You are forgiven. The promises of God are yours. Accept Him. Become a part of His family. Celebrate the resurrected Lord. And so he preaches on Pentecost. And now, just a couple of days later, he preaches the same sermon again. And this time, are you ready for this? Not 3,000 but you had another 4,000 who committed themselves, who said, I want to be baptized. Let me hear the word. Let me receive it. Let me be baptized into it. And they became a part of the Christian faith. Things are really beginning to happen. You would think in our own time, nothing happens. We read about things in the Christian church and it's kind of blasé. It's routine. It's regular. So what's new? But not here. This was all new. This was all exciting. This was the most exciting thing that had ever happened to them and to the society in which they lived. The resurrected Christ had been found by these people, received by them, and now they were praising Him. I have to tell you this story. It's an interesting one. Can you fast forward for a moment? Fast forward with me to 64 A.D. You're talking about 30 years later. We're in Rome. And Rome has just been burnt. And Nero had been blamed for that. And so Nero had his own way of handling it. He decided he would blame the Christians. What Christians? Well, if we read Cornelius Tacitus, one of the reliable but non-Christian pagan historians of the time, a vast multitude of Christians were taken captive, many of them burned because of the fire and Nero's blaming them. Now, mind you, we're talking 30 years later. We're talking in a place of Rome, 1,500 miles away from Jerusalem. And they're talking about vast multitudes of Christians. The Christian message had spread like wildfire all across the Mediterranean. And people had drawn, been drawn to Christ and committed themselves to Him. This is a faith that was on fire, just as it was true on that Pentecost morning. Fires were burning on the tops of their heads, but more in their hearts. And that fire caught, it was like a conflagration that spread across the Middle East. People were committing themselves to Christ. What a story this is. And you are a part of that story. That rage of fire and the power of the Holy Spirit didn't stop there, it continued. And so it caught you somewhere along the line and burned in your heart and you committed yourself to Him. And so the story goes on. Another facet of this is something I cannot overlook. 
when I started digging in on this particular sermon, I found all sorts of directions in which to take, and I could go on for another hour here this morning. So hold on to your seat. (laughs) Here we go. You know, any party, and that's what this was, this was a big party, a great celebration. It was the birthday of the church. And like today, we're throwing a party and we're celebrating. We're having Holy Communion here this morning. We're celebrating. That's what we call it, celebrating. And we're celebrating the fact that the Spirit is moving within us and we're committing ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ again and again. Well, that's what was going on. But there had to be gifts when you have a party. There's always gifts, right? The unusual thing about this is that the gifts are given to you. Usually you wrap a gift bring it to the party and give it to whoever's in charge. And I suppose you do that too with Christ on occasion, with stewardship and so forth. But on this occasion, the giver of the gifts is God himself in his spirit. I want you to take a little time this week to go to your computers and look up the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You'll find it listed in Isaiah 11, 1 Corinthians 20, in Acts, in a number of places when they talk about the Holy Spirit, they talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So what was going on as well in the midst of this party, gifts of God were given to these people who were gathered. And these are the gifts traditionally thought of. These are the seven gifts found in Acts 2. The gift of wisdom, the gift of understanding, the gift of wonder and awe, the gift of right judgment, the gift of courage, the gift of reverence, the gift of knowledge. So you just didn't have people who were dancing around and high on God or talking in tongues but they were receiving substantial gifts for their lives so they may live them out in praise of in reverence for in the knowledge of God himself this is a big day and a lot happens and gifts are shared and you, each one of you declares you believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, receive these gifts. All we can do today is conclude by praying, O Lord, come with your gifts. Come with the Spirit that you might move our lives, particularly here in this place, in our church, where we see a lot more of the Spirit in action through our personal lives, in our interaction with others. May we declare you as Lord, as Savior, as Spirit for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Amen.